The X-Zone radio and TV show is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the X-Zone radio and TV show or in any manner endorsed by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, Talkstar Radio Network, its affiliated stations, or employees. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. It is Thursday, April the 1st in the year 2010. I'd like to uh, wish everyone listening a very happy Easter. We're taking uh, tomorrow off, Friday, Good Friday, April the 2nd. I'll be back live here in the Exxon on Monday, April the 5th. So to one and all, have a safe, happy, glorious uh, Easter weekend. My guest this hour is Ishmael Jones. He was born in the United States and raised in the Middle East. East Asia, East Africa. He attended universities in the U.S. and served as an officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. In the late 1980s, he joined the Central Intelligence Agency, where he served as a deep cover officer, focusing on human sources with access to intelligence on weapons of mass destruction and terrorism. His assignments included more than 15 years of continuous overseas service in numerous exotic countries and several rogue nations. He resigned from the Central Intelligence Agency in good standing, and he is now the author of The Human Factor Inside the CIA's Dysfunctional Intelligence Culture. And joining me here in the X-Zone for this hour is Ishmael Jones. Ishmael, welcome to the X-Zone. Hey, thanks very much for having me on the show. I sure appreciate it. Well, it's my great pleasure, and thank you for the work that you've done protecting us uh, and you know maintaining the balance that is so delicate, and I, I really believe, Ishmael, that, uh, that the people have no concept of the delicate balance that is really out there. I, I agree. I was, uh, in fact, I was talking to some people today, and it, uh, it struck me that they didn't realize just how, uh, well, I had a difference of opinion with them in that I think that the chances of a nuclear attack are, are really quite high, and that it's just a matter of time. And the people I spoke with, considered it uh, unlikely, and they don't have uh, the quite the, uh, the the knowledge and the amount of time I spent in this area, but mm-hmm. I was sort of struck by their, their our difference in opinion. Tell me, uh, what type of work did you do as a CIA case officer? I was in the, um, I was a, a basic intelligence officer in human source intelligence, and, and, uh, uh, what I did was I worked in foreign countries, and I 
I found people with secrets mm-hmm. on threats to, uh, you know, terrorist threats and nuclear proliferation threats primarily. And I met them and got to know them and, and uh, recruited them to give us secrets. Now, what is, what is human source intelligence and, and why is that so important these days? Everyone seems to agree, everyone in the intelligence community seems to, to agree that human source intelligence is the most vital, that we can do what, what we can with satellites and listening devices, mm-hmm. but we really need the human connection. We really need uh, uh, individuals to, to tell us when the, where and when the terrorist attack is going to happen, where and when the nuclear attack is, is planned. We just, uh, we just need that human connection. We need that, that person-to-person um, connection and uh and that's what my work was and it involves it's uh it's very um it's a very one-on-one work it involves a lot of hotel room meetings in in strange countries uh far from home i would imagine that uh that the human resource intelligence or human source intelligence is very important especially if the op the uh, the weaponry that is being developed or the or the um the aspect of the investigation is being held in an area that cannot be observed by satellite. That's right. We just really need to get in there. We just have to have human beings. We'll never be able to uh, to do without it. There was a period. There, there have been periods when when uh, the Americans have invested more money in our technical intelligence. Mm-hmm. It's pretty good stuff. You know, the, the to the extent I worked with it, I was always very impressed. But we have to have that, that human connection. We have to have the little guy that works in the uh, nuclear lab. Uh, we have to have the Ishmael, on, uh, Ishmael, please stand yeah. by. You and I have to take a two-minute break. Ishmael Jones is our special guest. He's the author of The Human Factor, Inside the CIA's Dysfunctional Intelligence Center. His website is www.ishmaeljones.com. We'll be back on the other side of this two-minute break. Don't go away. Ishmael Jones is my special guest. He's the author of The Human Factor Inside the CIA's Dysfunctional Intelligence Culture. His website is www.ishmaeljones.com. That's I-S-H-M-A-E-L-J-O-N-E-S dot com. Ishmael, why did you decide to write your book, The Human Factor? The book is just a tool for me to use in intelligence reform. There's a certain amount of respect for authors, and it's a uh, it contains... Uh, it contains in, in the appendix, it contains my uh, proposed solutions for intelligence in the United States. It's, a, it's, a, it's just a, as a tool. That's its purpose. What's wrong with the intelligence system as it stands now? 
Uh, I think what we're doing is, just as we understand that human human uh, connection is important, the actual act of doing uh, getting out in these foreign countries and and meeting these human sources is a very difficult task in that it involves being far away from friends and family, and it's usually conducted in dingy hotel rooms in exotic countries. Uh, what happens is that there isn't really a for a government employee, and it's all this is all uh, government structured organizations. There's uh, the path to promotion and power occurs in Washington D.C. So as a result, there's a real um, there's a real sort of a, a institutional avoidance of the basic work that needs to be done. And we've got all our people. We have over 90 percent of CIA employees live and work entirely within the United States, uh, not out there. Uh, just to give you an example, if uh, if someone had gone out to to hunt Bin Laden. Uh, before the 9/11 terrorist attacks, they'd have they would have had to live alone, uh, far from their families, for years to do this. And when they would have returned, no one at headquarters would have known them. They would have been unpromotable, essentially. That doesn't seem very fair. Uh, no, it's uh, uh, but it's it's uh, the the CIA is full of brave and intelligent people, but we just need to fix that system so that. So that people who go out and actually gather the intelligence are are uh, rewarded, so that they don't have to 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 essentially spend their lives schmoozing and uh, building uh, interpersonal connections with with other people at headquarters. Instead, they're out in the foreign lands uh, building connections with with uh, human sources of intelligence. I've heard that the CIA are the unsung heroes of national security. How true is that? Ah, there are some real heroes out there. It's just a, uh, there are some real people who are, you know, they're dedicated and they're out there in these in these lands and they're they're far from home and family. But there are just very very few of them, and the and the great bulk of the money and the people are are within the United States, which is a, you know, when I say that as an element of reform, all I'm saying there is just let's just obey the rules that are in the laws that are already in place. The CIA was never supposed to be a domestic American intelligence uh, organization. Tell me if you can, and, and I certainly don't want to uh, put you into a comprom- any compromising situations with this question. How come bin Laden hasn't been brought to justice yet? I, I, I don't get it. I mean, maybe he's dead, mm-hmm. um, but we just need to, uh, what we should do is to, to is we should we should be be rough with our senior managers and, and essentially I mean this is uh, 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 I mean fire them until we find someone who stands up and says I'm going to go find the guy. Mm-hmm. What would efficient CIA performance be? Uh, why would efficient CIA performance be important to the people who are not Americans? Well, I know you have. Uh, uh, you broadcast all, you know, you broadcast all over the, the world. Mm-hmm. Many of your uh, listeners are not Americans, and I just think it's important that um, that we recognize that, uh, you know, the, the uh, nuclear destruction of a city like Tel Aviv or New York City or London is is going to ruin ruin all of our days. It's uh, and so we're all responsible. We all, we all have this uh, this shared uh, vulnerability, and the uh, uh, the United States has has essentially unlimited billions of dollars in its intelligence budget, and if we use it properly, we can we can uh, if we have an efficient CIA, 
we can protect so many people from nuclear disaster. And you really believe that one of these days a nuke is going to go off? Yes, I've been involved in this business for so long. It just seems to me so terribly obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is just a, this is an opinion, and I and I was talking to some dear friends, and and they they didn't have this this sense of urgency. But what we're talking about with with the nukes is it's 1930s technology. It's not hard to assemble. Um, some countries are very proud of it. I, I have friends from India and Pakistan, and when they developed their nuclear weapons, they they were proud of it, and uh, and it's 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 just not so. It's not hard to do. a country like Canada could assemble these things in in no time at all. It's just that because of the you know because of the um, sort of the the international outlook of its people, there is there is no interest in doing so. It's not an achievement. No. So and it's and there are people that really have a lot of hatred out there, and as soon as they form one of these bombs. The terrorists are going to use it. They don't use it to negotiate. They're just going to use it. You know, it's 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 no wonder that the world is on such a very delicate breaking point. You know, we've done shows in the past, Ishmael, where there have been so many broken arrows or, or missing missing nuclear weapons that it, it surprises me that these terrorist groups haven't been able to get their hands on one and just, you know, boom, away you go. I'm proving my point. Now what are you going to do? Yeah, it's a, uh, absolutely. It's, um, it's, I think it's just a matter of time. We just need to work very, very hard to make sure that it doesn't happen. And, and we won't do that with a bunch of, with our CIA people all located within the United States in offices. We just really need to get out there in the field and on the streets. All right. If you were to be made the head honcho of the CIA by presidential declaration, how would you improve the CIA? I'd physically get people overseas and out of our offices, and I'd cut the layers of management. We've got, uh, uh, we had, uh, you remember the uh, underwear bomber there in, um, uh, over Christmas time. We actually had the information. It, w- it walked into our embassy. The, fa- the father of the underwear mm-hmm. bomber brought the information into an American embassy, but there were simply too many layers that the information had to go through. Um, and so it couldn't get to where it needed to go within the roughly like six weeks, I think, that the information had before Christmas Day. So uh, I would cut the layers, and I'd get our people overseas, and I'd make sure anybody who brings in uh, intelligence is rewarded. And um, I think I, I think we would I think there are some real serious systemic problems in the CIA. So I would like to see the U.S. military take more. Uh, be given more control, and the FBI be given more control within the United States. So you're basically saying there should be a program like Crime Stoppers Incorporated for intelligence information. Yeah, we just yeah. well. I mean, look at any any new creative ideas. Absolutely. Yeah. Tell me, could the events of September the 11th, 2001, been avoided? Yes, they're they're. Uh, I, I haven't really gotten into. I haven't really studied that as closely uh, as I should. The um, I believe it could have been. There was a lot of lot of information out there. We just didn't have our people uh, into these organizations. It's not that hard to do. You remember the case of the uh, young fellow from Marin County who one day chose to become a uh, uh, he be, essentially become a terrorist, and he was accepted and 
within a remarkably quick period of time, he was in the Taliban in Afghanistan. So we can get out there and we can do these things. We just didn't have the people on the uh, on the ground, you know. And, and after the fact, we can connect all these dots and say, you know, somebody knew something here and they weren't exchanging information. I think the whole information exchange thing is kind of a is a uh, is a, is is false. We just didn't have the raw information to begin with. What do you think about the recent defection of an Iranian nuclear scientist? Well, I, I think that's that's good news. Uh, my only concern is I'm a skeptic. Uh, I was trained and paid to be skeptical. Uh, I don't. I you know the the main thing that you want to do as an espionage officer is you want to keep your spies in place. Mm-hmm. So if we have this guy, we got an Iranian nuclear scientist. You actually you don't want him to defect. You want to keep him there. And uh, once he defects. All he can he can give you is historical information. He's lost his access. So I mean, this is what we teach our, our spies in our basic training: is uh, don't let them defect unless their life is in danger and we need to get them out. I'm not sure that was the case here, and I'm concerned that uh, that they had them defect so that they could issue uh, favorable press releases on it. So they're using national security and the work that the CIA is doing for uh, public relations. Well, I just question it. You know, it, yeah. I just say, I just bring up that question, and it, it could very well be that we have some some, uh, some heroes who brought this guy out, and, and, he, and there, is, there is a great deal of, of information he can, he can provide us. But, but I do ask, why did they have to bring him out? Why not leave him in place where he can, he, he, you know, he can tell us now what happened yesterday. He can't tell us anymore what's going to happen tomorrow. And uh, unless his life was in danger, he should have been left there. And so I question what, what they were up to, what was going on. And, and I also wonder, I haven't studied this closely yet, but how good was his? How good was he? You know, uh, we've got such a, um, our focus is so domestic with the CIA. There are so many people within the United States that we tend sometimes to draw people out of the foreign countries and into the United States just so, just because we simply have so many people here not doing anything, and this guy gives everybody, everybody gets to go meet this guy, he becomes a sort of a, a freak show exhibit there at CIA headquarters. Ishmael, please stand by. You and I have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exxon Nation, Ishmael Jones is our special guest. He's the author of The Human Factor, Inside the CIA's Dysfunctional Intelligence Culture. His website is www.ishmaeljones.com, I-S-H-M-A-E-L-J-O-N-E-S.com. Once again, I'm not going to be here tomorrow. It's going to be the best of, and it's going to be at the discretion of the local affiliate program director. Talk about passing the buck, eh? In this case, the Easter egg. I'll be back Monday uh, live. So until, um, so like I said, we're not going to be here, but to each and every one of you, a very happy Easter. Ishmael and I return on the other side of the news as we continue right here in the X-Zone. Don't go away. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. When you were young.
open book You used to say Live and let live I know you did, you know you did, you know you did But if this ever-changing world In which we live in Makes you give in and cry Say live and let die Welcome back to the Exxon, everyone. My name is Rob McConnell, coming to you from our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, on the Talkstar Radio Network and the Exxon Broadcast Network, and our affiliates across Canada, the United States, Central America, South America, the Caribbean, the Pacific Rim, Australia, Asia, India, Africa, and Europe. If you'd like to give us a call, toll-free worldwide, 1-800-610-7035. That is toll-free worldwide at 1-800-610-7035. Email exone at exoneradiotv.com. You can always chat with someone here in our studios by using the MSN address exoneradiotv at hotmail.com and our website www.exoneradiotv.com. If you'd like to get a copy of the March 2010 edition of the X Chronicles newspaper, all you need to do is send me an email saying, Hey Rob, can I get a copy of the paper? I will send you a link where you can read the paper as well as the 31 other editions of the X Chronicles on Scribd. And all you have to do is once again send an email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com. I received an email from Stephen Bassett who said that he thought I was pretty harsh on the UFO community with my editorial. Uh, Steve, too bad. I really think that members of the UFO community need a real reality check. And uh, I'd love to bring you on to have you debate me on it. So there you go. Steve, you wanted a debate? You're going to get one. My special guest this hour is Ishmael Jones. He was born in the United States, raised in the Middle East, East Asia, and East Africa. He attended universities in the U.S. and served as an officer in the U.S. Marine Corps. In the late 1980s, he joined the Central Intelligence Agency, where he served as a deep cover officer focusing on human sources with access to intelligence on weapons of mass destruction and terrorism. His assignments included more than 15 years of continuous overseas service in numerous exotic countries and uh, several rogue nations. He resigned from the CIA in good standing. He's written a book, ExoNation, The Human Factor, inside the CIA's dysfunctional intelligence center. And to find out more about our very special guest this hour, Ishmael Jones, visit his website, www.ishmaeljones.com. That's I-S-H. M-A-E-L-J-O-N-E-S dot com. Uh, Ishmael, um, what should be done about the Iranian nuclear threat? We, um, uh, I'm a very narrow-focused person. It's all With me, it's all about intelligence. Mm-hmm. So what I think we need to do is get our people out there, get them on the streets, uh, uh, meet meet Iranians and learn as much as we can from them to do the basic uh, case officer work. Now, Iranians are the. Uh, I've spent a lot of time doing this myself. They're they're wonderful people from an ancient, uh, sophisticated culture, and they're um, uh, and especially as far as their scientists go, they're all English speaking. I mean, I, I speak uh, uh, several languages. It's important as a case officer to do that, but I don't speak Farsi. 
but there are so many who are still accessible uh, with English. They're, I, I find them easy to meet. They often have had their education in North America, um, and, and many of our targets have even had children born in North America. So it's not, it's not hard to do. We need to get out there and do it. And, um, and just to get out there and just do that, that basic, simple, hard work of, of intelligence, and then we can get the information and, and we can bring it to President Obama and, and he can make decisions upon it. How many operatives or field officers or CIA agents do you believe should be out there? I actually, I, I, I think almost as, as many as we can feel. Now, our numbers are, are very tiny right now. Uh, the area I was in was in, uh, I, I call it deep cover. In fact, the CIA doesn't actually use that term, but I didn't want to reveal the actual Term that, Understandable. Uh, that we used, mm-hmm. but it um, it meant it meant working outside of embassies, you know, not under not undercover as a diplomat, and there are just very very few of those. It's classified how many, but it's a very tiny amount, and um, and one of my sort of you know one of my achievements as a case officer was essentially just uh, longevity was survival, so that I was able to to work overseas for. 15 some years to an un- uninterrupted assignment to assignment that shouldn't be such a big deal but it's very very rare so we just need to get we need to get more than the handful that we have active out there right now how hard is it on the families of of an operative like yourself it was uh, for me i thought it was this is this is this may seem somewhat contradictory i thought it was uh, it was great for the family because as a, uh, as a deep cover officer, I didn't come into an office mm-hmm. every day and I wasn't exposed to the, uh, to the sort of the office politics that most CIA officers are. So, so the family life was just great. I controlled my time. And when I was, um, when I was away on a mission, I was working on a mission and it wasn't as if, um, I were trapped somewhere because my boss uh, wanted to hold endless meetings, for example. So, uh, and I and I noticed this as well that the uh, that my my colleagues who are under deep cover seem to have much smoother, stronger family lives than than my colleagues who served in uh, in headquarters buildings and in embassies. Did your family know that you were uh, a member of the CIA? Uh, just my wife. Uh, uh, just my wife. Did and uh, and I like to joke that the, the the knowledge was kept so secret that only my wife and my parents and ten thousand CIA employees ever knew. <laughs> were you uh, were you um, did you join the CIA or were you approached to become a member of the CIA? No, I actually joined, which is unusual. Uh, most people, I think, are approached. I just uh, I just typed up a. Uh, a letter and mailed it to a CIA office and attached a resume to it. I was, uh, I'd been in the Marine Corps and I'd enjoyed the, uh, the adventure mm-hmm. of the patriotic service. And, uh, I was working on wall street at the time and I was just a little bored. And so I sent off the letter and, and they responded. How did you feel when you, uh, when you were finally accepted? Oh, it was, uh, you know, it's a, it's a pretty long process. The, uh, 
biggest the biggest challenge is the polygraph, and that's what wipes out a lot of the people. I um, I've actually been reading some some psychology and some some books on uh, on the issue lately, because I'm a little concerned that the the intensity of the use of the polygraph may be selecting other attributes as well. You know, it may be selecting. Uh, uh, I mean, this I, I'm I'm drawing it's kind of a distant connection, but I mean, mm-hmm. if we're if we're really fine tuning the thing and making sure we don't get anyone who tells uh, any kind of a lie, are we also getting another type of person who may not be that suitable for espionage work? Well, in espionage, don't you have to lie to maintain your cover? Uh, it is. It's it's important uh, and. Uh, but the rule for lying is to tell the truth as much as you can. That because people really have uh, uh, almost a, you know an extra sense mm-hmm. for the truth, especially if they're coming from the kind of if they're coming from rogue nations. They uh, so what so what what I'd lie about is my name and elements of my background mm-hmm. and maybe my business, but but to, to actually keep the lies to an extreme minimum because these people. You know, if you've grown grown up in Iran or North Korea, you know how to you know how to spot a a liar for your basically for your survival. I guess so. Here's a question for you, and I don't know if you'd like to answer it. If you don't, I will understand and uh, respect your your answer. Here's the question: Should CIA interrogators of terrorists suspected uh, or or suspects be prosecuted? Oh, that's a that's an excellent question. Thank you. I I think that's a you know that's a really uh, that's an issue that's really been in the news really for for some years now, and it's uh, and I think it's uh, of interest to uh, to to many many international listeners. But they may not like my answer. And my answer is that I that no, I don't think they should be prosecuted. And the and the reason is that it's. Um, that, that anyone who's in the bullseye of prosecution is some little guy, a low-level guy, who was away from his family mm-hmm. trying to do his best, uh, and there doesn't appear to be any sort of link to anyone who established policy. No one, no one, um, no no one of any up the ladder appears to be in any danger of prosecution. So the little guy is actually a bulletproof vest for the bigger guys. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how it is in many, many forms of, of human human interaction, you know, many organizations. But these guys, uh, I knew some of them. I wasn't involved in interrogations myself, but I, I had some friends who did it, and they off they go for two years to some undisclosed location, and they're, they're told they're going to be promoted and treated well, and then they come back, and uh, nobody wants to talk to them, and they're they're basically shunned and ignored, and and uh, they're just out there doing their best. Uh the ones I talked to said they never, they never actually tortured anyone. They'd often get these, these young young fellows. They they get them in there, and the guys would start talking, and they would uh, use this information often to transmit it to to police forces all over the world to stop uh, stop terrorist attacks from happening. So these guys actually uh, actually saved a lot of lives doing this work. But once it became a political issue, uh, and you want to you want to you know prosecute people. Mm-hmm. Okay, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying let's, let's protect someone who's been cruel, but uh, whoever, we can't just do the little guy who went off to do his job, is what I'm saying. 
How close did you work with uh, with other intelligence agencies, for example, uh, MI5 in Great Britain and then the Russian Secret Service? Oh, uh, not too much in my case because of the uh, the cover I was under. So okay. there were some periods in Iraq where I was uh, I was you know working as as an official, and so I worked with some other agencies then. But uh, uh, for example, I have a uh, I have a friend who's he's actually a Canadian. His name is Michael Ross. He's a former Israeli Mossad spy. He did a lot of uh, liaison work with with the American CIA. Uh, he knows a lot about that stuff. Mine was very limited, though, just because of the nature of my cover. Speaking about Canadians, uh, what do you think about our CSIS? Uh, you mean the, the quality of their work and so yeah. on? Yeah, you know, because uh, prior to CSIS being formed, uh, the intelligence was left to the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And now with our very own spies, uh, CSIS, uh, they've only been in the game, what, maybe 20 years now? Mm-hmm. How, you know, like, how do outside intelligence agencies that have been around for mega years, like the CIA, look at our guys? Oh, I think they look at at them with respect, and, and I think they do a good job. And um, I would be concerned, I guess, about the, uh, about the creation of a, uh, the way it was created, because it essentially... You know, we have we have to be worried about them using the CIA model, basically. So if you've got the uh, the thing with having the uh, intelligence under a, a law enforcement organization is that they the law enforcement organizations really have much more of a connection to the work they do. There's much more of a uh, of a uh, sense of responsibility in a chain of command that connects it to uh, to reward and and achievement. What would you like readers to? walk away with after they've read your book? I think that they, um, you know, the, the book is designed to be really readable. It's just a story. It's a, um, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a story of a spy. And so I'd like them to walk away with the, the sense that they've read another guy's story and maybe it can help them um, make decisions in their own lives. Maybe, I mean, I like to do this. Mm-hmm. I like to read other people's autobiographies and just see how they approached their lives and how they made their decisions. For for a listener who may be just leaving university, leaving the military, would you suggest a career in the CIA? I get I actually get a lot of uh, I get a lot of I say even almost most of the emails I get on my website mm-hmm. are from people asking my opinion on whether they should join the CIA and I always say give it a shot. I, I enjoyed it. It was a great adventure. I would have stayed, except that I just was ultimately was really stymied, and, and the, the day came for me to uh, pull out of my foreign assignment. So I say give it a shot. Go in with, there with your eyes open. Try not to turn into a, a bureaucrat. Try not to do it for the money. Unfortunately, it's become a place to make uh, to make a lot of money, which it never used to be. Uh, but go in there, be a patriot, eyes wide open, and uh, they can they can have some real uh, uh, achievement. All right, you and I have to take our final break, Ishmael. Please stand by. Exo Nation, our special guest this hour, is the author of The Human Factor, Inside the CIA's Dysfunctional Intelligence Culture. Ishmael Jones is his name. His website is www.ishmaeljones.com. 
Once again, www.ishmaeljones.com. When I come back from this commercial break with the news, we'll do a recap of tonight's show. And don't forget, Exxon Nation, we will not be live tomorrow night. It'll be the best of. And uh, we'll be back Monday, Easter Monday. And once again, from everyone here, from myself, Laura, and our production staff and our affiliates around the world, happy Easter and have a safe one. We'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. And welcome back, everyone. I'd like to take this opportunity of thanking all our guests tonight. Doug Crow was with me in hour number one. Hour number two, a repeat of Daryl Sims, uh, the alien hunter himself, uh, talking about alien abductions. And then, of course, uh, I think he went off the deep end when he started talking about a UFO that's circling the planet Earth that's 50 miles thick and uh, 600 miles long but what do I know I'm here on this planet with my feet on the ground hour number three Dr. William Schneed and I discussed the terrorist attacks in Russia we also discussed the Christian militia and my guest this hour Ishmael Jones he's the author of The Human Factor Inside the CIA's Dysfunctional Intelligence Culture, his website is www.ishmaeljones.com. That's I-S-H-M-A-E-L-J-O-N-E-S dot com. First of all, Ishmael, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you and the other members of the CIA for the very important work that you do. And in my books, you guys are unsung heroes. And congratulations on a great book. Thanks very much. Thanks again for having me on. Now... The CIA, in the eyes of the uneducated or the unaware, you know, it's cloak and dagger, it's negative, and, you know, like, at times it receives a lot of bad press. But there's always a good side, and as as a former member of the CIA, can you tell the audience the, the upbeat, the good side of the CIA? Well, it's, it's just full... Uh... It's, it's nearly unanimously full of good people who want to do the best and who are patriotic and highly skilled and intelligent. So when I, when I make criticisms of the CIA, I'm talking about the, uh, the systemic nature of it. You know, these, these people want to be out in the field. They want to be out serving their country. They don't want to be uh, playing games at headquarters. And, uh, and the people who are overseas... Uh, do an excellent job, and I, I especially enjoyed uh, during my career the uh, the tactical success 
just even you know uh, success on a on a street level where you're you're finding out where the uh, where an explosive device is uh, and and uh, alerting the bomb squads and uh, and uh, protecting people that might be walking by you know things like mm-hmm. that are just going on uh, going on constantly. And quickly, where can people buy your book? Uh, it, it should be in most uh, bookstores. They can do the usual Amazon, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the um, uh, I just uh, the thank you for that the question reminded me. I just wanted to say that I don't uh, I don't profit from the book. The uh, the profits all go to veterans uh, charity groups. Um, what a guy! I, just, uh, I always try to remember to say that. What a guy, Ishmael! Thank you very much for coming on. I hope that we have the pleasure of having you back on in the near future. And once again, thank you and the other members of the CIA and intelligence agencies and law enforcement for the great work that you guys do. Hey, thanks very much. I sure appreciate it. Take care, sir. Well, that's it for tonight, everyone. Wow. Another week has gone by. Don't forget, tomorrow is Good Friday. I'm not going to be here. I will be back next Monday. To you and yours, a very happy, safe Easter weekend. And um, thank you for allowing us to be part of your day or night, no matter where you are in this great big world of ours. I'll be back again Monday as once again we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. So until then, always keep your eyes to the sky, your heart to the light, and be safe. Good night now. Good night now.